So I had a special uh, treat for you today. I, we scheduled a guest preacher, uh, a scholar uh, and a professor and author, theologian Craig Hazen. He's in, he was uh, going to be in town for a conference that uh, group him, some of his colleagues are putting on called A Reasonable Faith. Uh, and there's actually, that's a, the, the men's ministry has been promoting that as part of their uh, ministry this year. Uh, so in this information about that. So, uh, so Dr. Hazen fell and broke his shoulder and is, was unable to make the trip down here. So can you get me today? And uh, here we are. So I got you donuts um, as a consolation. So um, yeah, so we're praying for him and his, his recovery. It was a, a, actually a pretty bad injury. But what, what it does for us, it gives us one more week to uh, continue in a series that um, we were going to spend two weeks on, but we had a third week here, uh, thinking about our vision for this year of ministry. And to do that, we were looking at our purpose statement as a church. And that statement is actually printed in your bulletin. And it's uh, right under where it says vision on the inside. It says our purpose, Free Christian Church, our purpose is to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in a community of Christian love, develop in them Christ-like maturity and mobilize them for service to his church and the world in order to glorify God. We're going to focus on that last phrase there. This amazing statement. In order to glorify God. That we do our purpose in all the things that we do. Inviting people to know Jesus. Uh, developing people to maturity and, and serving. And all these things we do. The ultimate purpose of it all is to glorify God. That's the ultimate purpose. That's why we do all that we do. That's why we are passionate about what we do. Because we're passionate about the glory of God. Not uh, the glory of this church, not our glory, but the glory of God. It is the main purpose of our existence as a church. But not just collectively. Individually, we can think about what is the purpose of our existence? What is the purpose of, of what is the goal of your life? And I know that's a huge question. And, and that, that Alpha video actually said it quite well. Every day we ask lots of questions. You know, what am I going to do? How am I going to get it all done? What am I going to wear? What do I need to do today? But to stop and ask these big questions, what is my ultimate purpose of all the other things that I'm doing? And Alpha is a fantastic place to explore that question. And I want to explore it today. Um, and it's, and I, I get it, it's a bit, you show up to church on a beautiful day and this huge question, you know, what is the purpose of my life? Uh, but what happens is, and it happens to me, if, the, if we believe that the purpose of life is to glorify God as a church and as individuals, if I get my eyes off that purpose, something else will take its place. And if the glory of God is no longer my purpose or is no longer in focus, what becomes the priority is not God's glory, but my glory. You, your own glory, building something for yourself, or raising your family a certain way, or accomplishing something, overcoming something, the focus turns from God and it turns to myself. But here's the, here's the big problem with that. My glory is fragile. My glory is fading. Uh, I am a deeply imperfect person, so if I'm trying to promote my own glory, it's very hard to maintain that. And therefore, I would always be craving the stamp of people's approval and, and looking for affirmations and validations. It will be crushing to me when I don't get the recognition that I deserve. If I'm criticized, I'll be devastated. 
fear of failure will drive everything I do, and it just the, the fear of what people will think of, of me. If my glory is me, then it, it's going to bring anxiety and shame um, because my glory is fragile. But God's glory is eternal. The glory of God exists even before the creation of the world, this text says. That God's glory is, is great and has existed and will endure forever. God's glory is eternal. And we want to focus on God's glory today. Let us pray. Father, we want to understand your glory. We want to understand the purpose of our lives to bring you glory and what that means this morning. Father, it is a big thing and you are a great God. Yet by your grace, you meet us here, right where we are. Whatever we brought with us this morning, whatever concerns that we have, Lord, you know our hearts and you love us. And I just pray, Lord, that we would catch a glimpse this morning through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would somehow catch a glimpse of what it means to give you glory. So we give this time to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Uh, to explore this topic this morning, we're, we're looking at a passage of Scripture from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Uh, this is Jesus' last moments with his disciples before he's arrested. He's taught them many things. Uh, the, the John, his disciple, has accounted uh, all that Jesus had said. And then Jesus finishes with this prayer, and he's praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples, that they would be protected. He's praying for their unity. Uh, but the theme, the beautiful theme of this is glory, God's glory. And again, this is some of the very last words that he shares with them. So they're very important words. And this word glory is a, is a fascinating word in and of itself. It's a Greek word, as John wrote his gospel in Greek. It's the Greek word uh, doxa, or the verb to glorify as doxadzo. It's, it's an interesting word because it's a word that's changed its meaning over time. So in, in older classical Greek language, this word doxa was just, um, it means opinion, or what one thinks. It's a very kind of a subjective type of a word. But what happened is, when the Hebrew scriptures were being translated into Greek, and there was a, a, a translation called the, we call the Septuagint, and they were translating this Hebrew word in the Old Testament with this word, doxa, and it's a Hebrew word that means honor, power, and splendor. And now this word is taking on a new meaning such that in biblical language, this word doxa, we translate glory, begins to mean divine, it's just a word that describes God and his divine power and his divine radiance, his loftiness, his majesty. His, the, the honor, splendor, power, and radiance of God is all caught up in this one word, glory. So how does glory work? If I am supposed to bring glory to God, if that is our purpose as a church, that we are to bring God's glory, how does it, how does it happen? How does it come about? Three ways that glory works. The first is this, is that glory is given. Glory is given. Look in verse 1. Jesus prays, glorify your Son, that your son may glorify you. And skip down to verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. For Jesus, the glory of the Father came through his obedience. That Jesus was completing a work. 
in verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So, uh, Jesus, eternal with God the Father, before the beginning of all creation, they, they share, they have glory together. It just exists. It's just part of God's existence. But then Jesus has a, a mission to come to the world that was created, but very broken by sin, and to obediently humble himself, take on the human condition, human flesh, so, so that the Son clothes himself in humanity and, and walks and serves. And this is the mission that God the Father has given Jesus. And this mission is most fully accomplished through his death on the cross. A death that takes on the sin of the world, that we can be forgiven. The, the punishment and the judgment of God the Father onto God the Son. And that is the work. And Jesus said, look, the hour has come. The hour has come for, his, uh, for that judgment, for his death. And he says, be glorified in that, Lord, because he's finishing the good work. The pinnacle of all his obedience is the cross. And in a sense, we understand this concept that honor and glory come through obedience. Uh, if, if you had a child and you are a loving parent, you would give your children things to do that are good for them. And if they are disobedient, that does not bring honor to your family. If, if you say, children, the, those things we put on the steps that are yours, you need to take them to your room because they have a place where they go. And they're dangerous when they're on the stairs because we're going to trip and fall. So please, if the child then says, no, I will not move them. There's no honor in that. There's no, and I say this without any personal angst about, um, you know, things being left on the stairs. Um, uh, you get up early on a Sunday. Anyway, so the, a student brings glory to a teacher, honor to a teacher by doing the hard work of the assignments and then using that and building up that knowledge and using it to accomplish great things. That honors the teacher. A citizen does not bring honor to their country by disobeying the laws and by violating the Constitution. No. A, a citizen brings honor to his or her country by serving and upholding its laws and obeying them. And it's Jesus who is given a beautiful mission and obedient to God the Father that gives him the glory and the honor completing the mission. Why is that important to us, though? It's important to us because in, we have a mission, too. In verse 18, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So it's in fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us that, we, that the Father is glorified. And, and not only is the Father glorified, but beautiful things happen in verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy in them. As we live out this mission that gives glory to the Father, we have joy in that. There's, there's a full measure of joy. There's a completeness of joy. If we want to experience true joy as a church, we need to be committed to God's glory together, fulfilling the mission He's given us. And we experience that joy in a world that is very difficult. Verse 14 goes on to say, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they're not of the, of the world any more than I'm of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. It's the world. And in the Gospel of John, when he says the world, he's not just talking about the earth. He's talking about, uh, it's, he's talking about a way of doing life apart from God. And he said, 
I've called them to this mission in a world that does not honor God. And the world's going to hate them for that. So what we could do is we could remove ourselves from the world. We could uh, pool our resources and buy some land and build a community or you know, a commune and put big walls around it and, and just live together in that kind of a way. Groups, you know, faith groups have done that in the past. It doesn't always end well for them. It doesn't, it's, uh, it doesn't go well. There are, there are more beautiful expressions of Christians who have uh, turned to more of a monastic type of a life where they live in community and separate themselves from the world. But in Jesus' view, that's sort of a truncated way of living. He said, look, the world is a tough place, but you can, you can be obedient to the mission that's going to take place in that world, not to remove from it, but to be protected in it. And we sang it today. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The Lord will protect us. And the world is a tough place. But if we just remove ourselves from it, we, we don't get to experience that beautiful mission. And then and the other thing we experience in verse, we see in verse 17 is sanctification. Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. In verse 19, I sanctify for them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. That word sanctified means you know, being made holy or being made uh, different for, for God's good purpose. So not only, so we're fulfilling this mission to bring God glory. He's protecting us and he's, he's making us different than the world. So that we don't have to just remove ourselves from it. Nor do we get confused with it. Because we're not just like the world. It's not about blending in or separating ourselves. It's about being set apart within it. And being protected by God within it. You know, the world isn't you know, where we're going to go and get polluted. The world is where we're going to go and live out this way of life. And that's why today, you know, today, big and over day, 10,000 people, you know, gather around Main Street and... It's a great time, but there was some. This event was supposed to be on a Saturday, and because of the weather, it got rescheduled. And there was some. There was a, a faith group that um, was really upset and wrote a pretty, what I think was a kind of an angry email to the coordinators of the event. Said, "What are you doing? You did not consult us. There are churches near the downtown, and this is going to create havoc and parking, which some of you may have experienced this morning. And uh, you know, this is." You didn't consult us. This is when we worship. I, and I, somebody shared that email with me, and then I, I wrote my own email back and to the coordinators of this event. This is the Andover Business Center Association. I said, the subject line was, uh, Free Church Loves the ABCA. I said, hey, big event, big decisions, hard to keep everybody happy. We're excited to participate in Andover Day. I said, and we're going to gather 1045 and our people, and I hope you do, will just go into the downtown after our worship. And we'll have a great day because we're going to be part of, the, of our community. We think it's great what you're doing. And our church was not founded by pastors or clergy people. Our church was founded by business people, people who own businesses in this town, who took a stand for what was right, and who took a, a stand out of love for God and a love for their fellow man against slavery. And they founded the Free Christian Church as business owners. I said, so we love the businesses of our town. And uh, they, they wrote back and thanks, uh, were thankful for the encouragement. But we're, it's, not, it's not us versus them. It's, it's us together living on our mission to love them 
and to be part of this town. And yes, there's ways that, that the world does business that if we get caught up in it, it will drag us down. There are ways that the world deals with conflict or interacts with each other that would absolutely drag us down, but God protects us. And God is sanctifying us. That is making us different and holy that we can be a blessing in the world, not escaping from it. And God receives glory as we complete that good mission, the mission to love and to serve, and to proclaim the truth of his love through Jesus Christ to the world who needs it so desperately. That's our mission, and God is glorified in that. So glory is given as we live that way. The second way that glory works is that glory is shared. That is, not only do we live a certain way and God receives glory, but then he shares his glory back with us. Look at verse 22. This is a strange concept. I have given them the glory, Jesus says, so to his followers. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is a mouthful of words. But that Jesus received glory from the Father and he gives it to his He gives it to his followers, his disciples, for the purpose of unity. It's it's him in us. The God of glory living in us by his spirit puts his glory in us, and that glory then unites us to one another. That's the main point. A focus on God's glory will unite us as his people. It gives us a common goal. Therefore, our our life together is not about individual achievements. It's not about uh, personal preferences. It's about God's glory. And then we're never working against each other if we're all working towards the glory of God. Now, unity in this sense doesn't mean agreement, that we agree about everything. But unity means that everything is done in love. And, And again, it's in verse 23, it's that... The world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The basis of this is God's love. So we we pursue his glory and he's with us in that and that is unifying us in love. So the question for us is, is our goal God's glory? And is that, is his glory then shared back to us bringing us unity? Do my words and actions Display a passion for the glory of God. Do my words and action um, show that my number one priority is God's glory above all else? And that is a way of life that will unify us as we pursue God's glory. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one. This unity is, is woven into our world. God, before the creation of the world, exists eternally distinct as God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, the mystery of the Trinity, of the three in one. But God, in his own existence, is, is in relationship with himself. Therefore, the world that, we, that he created reflects that. From a, a molecular level all the way up to a biological, ecological level, there's, there is interconnectedness and relationship that's woven into it because God is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as he shares his glory with us, we are one. So glory is given. It's given as we live out the the mission. Uh, Glory is shared, that Jesus gives his glory back to us to unify us. And lastly, 
glory is seen or observed or experienced. Look at verse 24. Jesus prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. To see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. And, and he goes on in verse 25. Um, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you sent me, and I've made you known to them, will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Jesus' glory was most beautifully observed and seen. The glory of the Father was seen through Jesus in his connection to the Father. And then that was seen by his followers in, in they were able to experience it or glimpse it in some way. And the prayer is that they might see that more. We see his glory. We experience his glory. That's verse 25. He says, I myself in them. That's not verse 25. He, he says, I myself in them. It's his very Holy Spirit in us um, that we get a glimpse of this glory. And it's essentially the definition of eternal life. I'm jumping back to verse 3. Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The, the, key, uh, the key aspect of eternal life is not just about living forever. Eternal life is about knowing Jesus, knowing an eternal God, and experiencing His glory, and seeing His glory. And the way the Bible describes it is that right now we can see God's glory dimly. We see it a little bit. And someday we'll see it in all of its fullness. But we, we catch glimpses of it. And the beauty of that for us, the practical part of that for us, is that we know that Jesus' glory is, ex is experienced in his suffering and in his victory. That Jesus said, the hour has come for the cross. The cross is Jesus' glory as he's finishing the task, as he gives his life. But also his glory is in the resurrection and in his ascension to heaven. And that it's in the, in the suffering that glory is given and it is in the victory that glory is giving, given. And for our lives, the same is true. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. That whatever you go through, whatever, as you are fulfilling that mission, God is glorified. And if we are called to suffering, or if we are called to trouble, if whatever God calls you to in your life, whatever brokenness you experience, that God is glorified in that, He, he will, uh, as, as you die and are uh, brought to eternal life with Him, we, we experience His glory both in the suffering and on the other end. If we die with Him, we will live with Him. So your suffering is not the end. Whatever struggles or frustrations you have, it wasn't the end for Jesus. It's not the end for us either. And we can have great hope because we've seen his glory. And in some way you've experienced it. And we do not lose heart. Let us pray. Father, we are talking of your glory. And we are just humans. And we, this is, we praise you for your greatness in creating us. Your greatness in saving us. Your greatness in sending Jesus Christ. The greatness in his death. Your greatness in his resurrection. Father, help us to live in a way together where we are obsessed with your glory. 
where we desire to bring you glory in completing the things you've given us to do, that we experience your glory and that it would unite us in that. Father, we pray truly that we would see your glory, that we might have hope, that in life or death or whatever we are called to, that you are good and that we are, that you are with us and that we will be with you forever, Lord. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name.